So, Jake, who is on the throne right now? Good. That's good. That's good. Because if he wasn't, we'd be dead. Yes. Yes. You'll see a video that proves that this week at Connect. Yes. Just a little short video. It'll be fun, though. But anyway, so I'm glad that Christ is on the throne. And if he's not Heather, you should make sure to get him on the throne quick. Because today we're going to be talking about the measure of a leader. Again, Christ is our example of leadership, and so he needs to be on the throne if we're ever going to become like him as leaders, right? So as we get started, let's just pray and consciously ask him to make us the kind of leaders he wants us to be. So Jesus, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in each of our lives. We thank you that, that you're in control, God, and we consciously ask you to be on the throne right now and to fill us with your spirit. God, we ask you to make us the kind of leaders that you want us to be. Make whatever we learn today applicable in our lives. Help us carry it out and put it into practice, God. And help us be the leaders that you've called us to be. We love you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So Howard Hendricks says the measure of a person is determined by what it takes to get them going on one end and what it takes to stop them on the other end. Okay, did you get that? So over here you have what it takes to... Get you going. All right. I hope that's on there. And over here, it's what it takes to get you or to stop you. All right. All right. And as we talk about the measure of a leader, this is going to be extremely important because we all have these two boundaries here. Each person in this room has a threshold of what it'll take to get you going. Some of us, it's lower. Some of, it's, some of us, it's higher, right? But we each have that threshold. And the same thing on the other end. We each have kind of a threshold where we say we're done, we're out, we're giving up, or we're stopping. And today we're going to talk about this first step of getting going. We're going to talk about everything in between, and then we're going to end talking about what it takes to stop you. I guess we're not going to end with that. That'll be the last part of this that we talk about, but I want to conclude today helping each of you take some risks and put those on paper that'll help broaden those two barriers or those two walls, right, and help you become more the measure of the leader that God has made you to be. So a question I once had in an interview, and this is serious, I laughed when I got asked this question, was, are you a better starter or finisher? <laughs> and I laughed, and I said, is that even a serious question? And they said, it's a serious question, and you're being graded on it. <laughs> oh, so okay, it is serious. I said, I'm both. I'm both a good starter and a good finisher. And they said, right answer. So anyway, I think it was a trick, right? They wanted to see if I'd say, I'm a good starter. And they'd say, well, apparently he's not a good finisher. But anyway... <laughs> I told them, uh, I'm both, and they said that's the right answer. And it's kind of the same question for each one of us if we want to be a leader. Are you a good starter or a good finisher? And you don't want to pick one, right? Because a leader doesn't pick one of those. A leader is both and everything in between. And that's really where we want to go. So it ta if it takes a whole lot to get you going, if it takes a lot to get you going, and very little to stop you, if your barriers are here and here, does that make sense? then you are not much of a person. <laughs> Definitely not cut out for leadership. When I say you're not much of a person, I don't mean that in the sense of value. Because you're created in God's image and your value cannot change. So your value is secure in Him and in Him alone. But the reality is that you have not progressed much. Remember all the times that Paul and other authors in the New Testament talked about maturing, right? Or growing in your faith. We talked about growth last week, and somebody that has not pushed these barriers up very far has not grown very much in their faith. Does that make sense? And they definitely are not ready to lead. Look at 1 Timothy 3 for some of the qualifications of leadership. I think we've discussed that in the last few weeks at various times. But the reality is, if you want to be a leader, we have to expand these two. So if it takes a whole lot to get you started and very little to stop you, you don't have what it takes to lead, right? But if it takes very little to get you going and a whole lot to stop you, then you really have progressed to a point where you're ready to start leading or at least 
to begin getting ready to start leading. Does that make sense? Because leaders are going to have to start sooner, go longer, and be the last ones if they really are going to lead. That's the way that we lead. We don't lead by, by doing what's easy, right? There are a lot of hard things to leadership. And we're going to talk about expanding those two barriers today, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 15 is a good verse to start with, though. So you could turn there if you want. And this, I think, is a good context for this issue of the measure of leadership, right? If we can understand this, we're far along on getting started, right? Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 15, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So by the grace of God... We're each who God has called us to be and made us to be, right? I can't say 1510 maybe. <laughs> I was like, that's not. <laughs> Jake is shaking his head. First Corinthians 1510. <laughs> Let's see. Yes, that was not right. That's the first time I ever made mistakes. No, it hasn't. First Corinthians 1510. All right. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So as we think about this, Paul is talking about all of who you are, the measure of who you are, everything in between these barriers. He says that's by the grace of God, right? It's by the grace of God. But he says he also worked hard at it, and even his work at it was by the grace of God. Does that make sense? The fact that each of us can be increasing these barriers or broadening the space between them is in itself God's gift to us, right? Because he's going to give us opportunity to grow. Colossians 4, 5, remember that one. It says, make the most of every opportunity. We're going to talk about some of those opportunities today, but now Jake's going to check me. He's like, oh, Nate. Just teasing you. You're checking my verses now. Ah, that's your journal. I thought that was your Bible. (laughs) He's keeping me honest. So anyway, see... It's God's grace that makes us who we are, but we also have a role in becoming who he's called us to be, right? We are participating in this process along with him. So a leader is a self-starter. You can write self-starter on your paper anywhere you want. And please be taking notes. I didn't print off printouts for you today because my printer died. (laughs) The ink went out after three notes got printed. So I don't have them. So you can take notes. Write out self-starter. And I want to ask you, are you a self-starter? That's kind of a yes or no or maybe type of answer. But anyway, you could word it like this. What does it take to get you going? And just think about that for a second and write it out on your paper. What does it take to get me going? You could start maybe with a short answer. It takes very little. It takes a whole lot. It takes more than I would like. I don't know. You could describe that however you want. And then maybe you could write out what specifically it takes to get you going. Do you have to know something as God's will to get going? Well, that's pretty good, right? We'll talk about that today. Do you have to have your friend's approval to get going? Only you know what it takes to get you going, right? Only you know what it takes to get you to this point of being a self-starter. So we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I really wanted to start by having you answer that question on your own paper. What does it take to get you going? Remember, as we think about that, the acronym that we use for what kind of people to invest a lot of your life in, right, when you do discipleship, is faithful, available, and then there are two highs, initiative and interactive. We used to use interactive until we found that Steve Shadrach in Fuel in the Flame uses the exact same acronym with the exact same words except for I. He had initiative instead of interactive. We used to have interactive, which is important. We'd actually thought about changing it to initiative also. So now we'll just put both of them. They're both important. Teachable. A heart for God. Okay. So this whole initiative issue being able to take the initiative, that's what we're talking about over here when we say 
Are you a self-starter? Okay, so how to get going, how to become a better self-starter. First and foremost, guys, and it doesn't get any more simple than this. Psalm 37.4 says to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Remember that? The first thing that each of us need to do, again, we talked about your first leadership priority being your own fellowship with God, your own time with him. And that comes up every single week, doesn't it? Because that's the key for everything. It really is. Because he has to do this change in you. If you're like me, you're not as much a self-starter as you'd like to be, right? We all want to be more and more and more a self-starter. And if that's where you're at, God has to do the change. I can't just flick a button and make myself more of a self-starter. I have to rely on him to do that work in me. So, so first of all, about how to get going, how to take the initiative, grow closer to God. Again, it's your first leadership priority. And if you're doing that, he is going to be cultivating this ability to be a self-starter or a Christ-directed starter. Right? You're not starting yourself out of your own power, but you're quick to take the initiative in his power. Does that make sense? Second of all, guys, evaluate God's will. A lot of times leaders are people of action. Right? Leaders are always taking action, which is a good thing because very few people do take action. Remember they said there are three types of people. There are people that make things happen. There are people that watch things happen. And there are people that ask what happened. <laughs> right? Now, a leader is somebody that's making things happen. They're a person of action. And that's a good thing. But one of the problems with that is they can just get going so fast in so many different directions. You know? That's an awesome arrow. <laughs> and they can just get going and going and going to the point, guys, where... They're almost just going for the sake of going. And I've been there, where I'm just doing a million different things, and I've learned, sometimes the hard way, that that does not necessarily produce progress. Sometimes it encumbers you. Sometimes it ties you down and weighs you down as far as accomplishing what God has really called you to accomplish. So leaders are people of action, and that's good. But before you take the initiative, right, you need to evaluate God's will. What does God really want me to do before I just go off doing things? So number one, grow closer to God. Number two, evaluate God's will. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, right? Don't be ignorant, but know what God's will is. Okay, once you evaluate God's will, there's a decision to be made. What needs to be done? I need to know that in my head, right? I need to know what it is that God is calling me to do, and then decide how that needs to be carried out. Does that make sense? Okay, I know God's will is that I would share my faith. So let's say I've evaluated what is God's will. Oh, he wants me to share my faith. Well, the next step is decide what needs to be done. Who should I talk to when and how? What kind of opportunity should I make the most of? Well, technically all of them, right? But what kind of opportunity can I make the most of today as far as sharing my faith and doing what needs to be done? So decide what needs to be done. Next, be empowered by the Holy Spirit because you cannot do this in your own strength. Do you guys remember Ezekiel 2, 1 through 2? We should read it. I don't typically quote all these Old Testament passages expecting you to know them because I don't often know them myself from memory. But this is a good one. This is one that I've never forgotten and I hope none of us would. This is a key principle. Jake, are you there? Anybody that gets it? Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Whoever gets there first can read it. I'll read it. Ooh. Go for it. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and will, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, there was a spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Awesome. Okay, so what's happening there? God's commanding Ezekiel to do something, two things. Stand up and listen to me. And what happens? The Holy Spirit enables him to obey both of them. Isn't that cool? Is that not just the awesomest verse you've ever read? See, that's what he does in our lives. Now, we're a little bit different in Ezekiel. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to come into you. We all know that. Right? As a believer, well, he had to at one point, right? But as a believer, now he lives in you and he won't leave you. Right? Ephesians 1 says he is there in your life as a deposit until the day of Christ, right? as a guarantee of your salvation. So he's there. He's not leaving you. Jesus said anyone who believed in him would receive the Holy Spirit in John 7. Right? 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 both say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's not going to leave you 
and then come back into you and then leave you and then come back into you like he did in the Old Testament. That's what happened with Ezekiel. Remember in Psalm 51 where David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me? That could happen to David. It can't happen to you. You are solid. You have the Holy Spirit, and he indwells you for the rest of your life. Whether or not you choose to be filled with him daily is your choice, right? To be empowered and directed by him daily. But the reality is, as you decide to be a self-starter, you must grow closer to God, evaluate his will, decide what needs to be done, then consciously be empowered by his Holy Spirit, relying on his strength, not just your own, to do what needs to be done. Fifth, get accountability. Get another Christian brother or sister that can help you do what needs to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and keep you accountable to that, right? Finally, it boils down to one thing. I need to take the initiative and take today's step today, right? Action is required. In chemistry, you'll hear about an activation energy. Have you guys heard that in chemistry? How many of you have taken a chemistry class? Some of you, too. Okay. Here's my major, and I do remember this. Okay, here's your energy on this axis. Okay, and here's the reaction, the progress of the reaction. Most reactions, all reactions for the most part, except for the diffusion of gases, require an activation energy. And activate, it looks like that energy diagram we have with the semester, right? It's kind of interesting, but it can be a little bit different. The activation energy is what you have to put into the reaction to get something to happen. Does that make sense? It's kind of like gasoline is not just going to blow up in your face for no reason. It has to be lit. Well, that, that light, that flame, is the activation energy that causes that reaction to happen. Now, that would be what scientists call an exothermic reaction because once it happens, it gives off more energy than you put into it, right? Whereas an endothermic reaction would give off less energy than you put into it. It takes more energy than it gives you. Point being, you have to have some energy to get anything to happen. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing when you think of this first step in becoming a self-starter, right? I really have to boil all those other five things down to a step today. What's my step today? And then I'm going to take it. We'll talk about some of those things as we go on, and you guys are going to actually set some. But I think that's important. So how to get going, how to become a self-starter. Grow closer to God, evaluate his will, decide what needs to be done, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, get accountability, and then take today's step. Don't take a step bigger than you need to take. Just take the step for a day. If your quiet times are at a three today, get them to a four. Does that make sense? Take the step that you're at. Don't take the step that Brandon's at or Jake's at or Ashley's at. Take the step that you're at today between you and God. All right? And then take every opportunity you can to get going quicker and easier, even if it doesn't relate to ministry, right? Last, two years ago, last elk I shot, pray that I shoot one this weekend, and Brandon, too, and Joseph, too. A few of us want to shoot some elk. Two years ago, the last elk I shot, I shot an elk, the biggest cow I've ever shot, huge, the furthest away from my car that we were going to be the entire day. It was a long, long hike, <laughs> okay? And it was really exciting because the guy I was with also shot an elk. So we had a lot of meat to pack out. And luckily, it was about 7 in the morning. We didn't get done packing meat out until 6 at night. Right? So it was 11 straight hours, pretty much, of deboning and hiking meat out. After our first trip out, he said, I am not going back down there with you. And I told him, oh, yes, you are. Because <laughs> I'm not doing this alone. And I went through this diagram with this guy. And I said, look, the measure of a man, because he was a man, is what does it take to get you going and what does it take to stop you? I said, is one trip with 85 pounds out of the mountains going to stop you? Or are you going to toughen up and get taking the initiative earlier and keep going? And he said, I'm going to do it. He wrote me like a year later and said that that one five-minute talk we had uh, changed his life and that... It encouraged him so much. And we went down, we got the elk, and we both grew, because I didn't want to go down there either, you know? And it was long, and it was tired, and it was painful, and it was sweaty. But we did it, okay? So, getting started, I would encourage you, take those opportunities, whatever they are. When your flesh wants to say, don't do it, Heather, don't do it, stop. This is not fun at all. Almost just for the sake of expanding those boundaries, say, I'm going to do it. (laughs) 
you know, I'm going to do it within reason, within God's will, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to take this opportunity. Nikki, you were doing this at the retreat. Russ and Linda, they couldn't stop talking about it. They said Nikki was helping here and helping there and helping there and helping here. And we weren't even asking her. Russ goes, I was carrying something out and she ran out and opened the gate for me on my truck or whatever. Do you remember that? He said, uh, he said that, that to me shows leadership because she was taking the initiative when without even being asked. Nobody had to ask her to do it. She was going to do it because she saw the need. Well, that was really cool. Let's all follow that example and, and take less and less and less to get us going. Okay, a leader keeps on going. So what does it take to keep you going? Spend a few seconds and write that down. What does it take to keep you going? And as you think about it, think about this question. Are you internally motivated by love or externally motivated by rewards and consequences? And let this be a real introspection question. Don't just put what needs to be said, because we would all like to say, I am motivated by love. Of course I'm not motivated externally by rewards and consequences. But I think in a lot of ways, we each are. Right? We do what we do because we want to get noticed by man rather than by God. Remember what Jesus said about desiring the praise of man versus the praise of God? So what does it take to keep you going? And in that context, are you internally motivated by love or externally motivated by rewards and consequences? All right. Now, between these two barriers, as we're growing... This, by definition, is difficult, right? By definition, it's difficult. If it was easy, it wouldn't be expanding those barriers, right? So by definition, this takes what? This takes motivation to keep going, right? Takes other things like perseverance, patience, energy, etc. But fundamentally, it takes the motivation to keep on going. I am motivated. I'm not going to stop. I am motivated to keep on going, right? Now, as you, did you guys all answer that question about self-starting? I mean, about uh, what does it take to keep you going? Good. Okay, now as you think about motivation, I wanted to have this checklist for you. Bummed my printer ran out of ink and I didn't have any more black ink. So I want you to think through this with me and write down the ones that stick out in your mind. Your motivation level, and you've heard me say this before, but your motivation level depends a whole lot on you. God is not refraining from motivating you. I guess I could put it that way. If God was not in your life through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit, it'd be impossible for you to stay motivated, right? So when I say it's dependent on you, I don't mean that in the sense that it's not dependent on God, because it's completely dependent on God. But the reality is he is holding nothing back. The Holy Spirit is not lazy. He's not taking a rest. He is not deficient in your life. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit, right? A lot of times people say, I just need more of the Holy Spirit. No, he is 100% in you. Dakota, the Holy Spirit <laughs> that was present at the creation of the world, right, the Holy Spirit that has been working since that day to accomplish God's will on this planet lives in you fully. You, you cannot get more of him. You cannot get more of 100%, right? He's there, and he's not the limiting factor, right? He's not the lowest common denominator. So your motivation isn't dependent so much on him doing more. He's doing everything. But it's dependent on whether or not you are going to be obedient to him and be yielding to him, allowing him to motivate you. Does that make sense? So the way you stay motivated, this is really simple, is you eliminate motivation barriers. Does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit is going full tilt ahead in your life. But sometimes we allow barriers to block his momentum. Does that make sense? It's just like your car. If you're flooring the gas, it's going full steam ahead. Unless you also have the e-brake on, right? Okay, so you need to let off the e-brake so he can keep going. Does that make sense? So here are some common motivation barriers. And as I say these, write down any of these that come to your mind as barriers that you want God to eliminate in your life. 
And then after we're done today, simply ask him to start eliminating those barriers in your life and simply start being aware when you see those barriers. So if you feel like, I want to increase these barriers or, or grow as a leader, but I just don't have the motivation to do it, if that's how you feel, then maybe some of these barriers are preventing his motivation in your life. So check any that apply or write them down on your paper. Number one, spiritual apathy. Okay? I'm just not investing a whole lot in my own walk with God. If I'm not fellowshipping with God, again, like we said before, my motivation is going to be limited right, and minimal. So spiritual apathy. Number two, temptation and sin. Remember in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, where it talks about being encumbered with sin and other things as well. But they really tie us down. right? So sometimes if there's some form of sin in your life, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a big sin of commission, it could be a seemingly small sin of omission. Does that make sense? Right? Sometimes we think, oh, um, porn is a big sin, and I'm not looking at porn, so sin can't be what's wrong with my motivation. Well, maybe I'm not sharing my faith. And so maybe that sin of omission, not doing what I need to do, is uh, blocking that motivation level in my life. Does that make sense? Okay, temptation and sin, loneliness. Loneliness could be blocking your motivation. Incorrect expectations. You expect God to do this, but it's not happening. So I feel unmotivated. I feel discouraged. I feel like things aren't happening like I planned, right? Kind of like your Bible study last semester. What's going on, God? Why, why isn't it happening? We've all been there in some way or another, right? We've all been there at some time. Fear. Fear will destroy motivation. Right, when I let a fear happen in my life, and it doesn't just have to be physical fears, like I'm scared of being eaten by a bear. Okay? It could be an internal fear, like an insecurity. I don't want to take that step because I'm afraid about what people are going to think about me. Right? I'm afraid about something like that. Burnout. You've been going so hard for so long, you're just plain burned out. Right? Remember 1 Kings 18 and 19, in Elijah's example of going to... God, our living water, and satisfying bread when we're burnt out and letting him motivate us. Okay, unbelief. Unbelief will kill motivation. Unbelief and doubt. If that's an issue, I think I want to encourage you to deal with it. <laughs> and not in a, I don't want to say that in a harsh way, but there are good answers. What happens with doubt a lot of times, and gosh, if you listen to the Gary Habermas interview that we did on the God Solution, it's part two. We did two interviews with him, Aaron on two different weeks. And the second one, he talks a lot about doubt. And then we actually did a follow-up show on that a couple weeks later. But most doubt is emotional. Did you know that? Most doubt is emotional. It's not intellectual. Because you can have an intellectual question answered and then constantly still just agonize over what if. If you ever find yourself asking what if, that's not a rational doubt, but an emotional doubt. And that's the largest percentage of doubt, if that makes sense. So if you're constantly wondering, what if, what if, what if my faith isn't true? What if God's word, what if there's a hole? What if somebody finds evidence for evolution? What if, 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 you know? If those are the types of things going through your head, Satan is running you into ground with this emotional doubt. So if it's rational doubt, find answers. If it's emotional doubt, it's important to take those thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5, and make them obedient to Christ. Okay, lack of knowledge. Remember, Scripture says that people perish for lack of knowledge. We, if, if my knowledge of God is insufficient, it's going to kill my motivation. Being led by my own feelings and emotions instead of God's word. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful beyond all things, and it will get me into a lot of trouble. Somebody on a ski lift last year told me, I, I was working through the sound barriers trying to share Christ with her. No, I don't think so. Not that day. I was with uh, this other friend that's the main donor. It could have been when we were out, because we share with a lot of people when we were out, too. But anyway, this lady, uh, she says, I believe what's most important is to just follow your heart. And I said, what if your heart leads you to sexually abuse young girls for year after year after year after year? And she said, well, people shouldn't follow their heart doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, <laughs> your, your philosophy on life is that you should follow your heart. Well, some people have really messed up hearts, including each one of us, right? Maybe we wouldn't want to do that. 
but our heart cannot lead us in the right place. And if I'm letting feelings direct me more than God's word, it's going to kill my motivation. Comfort zones, everything between these two barriers, right? It feels comfortable. So I'm going to do what's comfortable. That'll kill motivation. Because motivation is difficult, or motivation is required when things are difficult, not when they're comfortable. Circumstances, if circumstances aren't what I think they should be, or if they are difficult, getting that elk out of the bottom of that canyon was a difficult circumstance, and it drained us of motivation. Rationalization, have you guys done this in your mind? I don't need to do that. Right? Have you ever been fasting, and you start thinking, I don't need to finish this fast out. You know, this happened to me, what was it? This was a couple months ago. I was fasting for something in particular. And the day that I was fasting, that thing happened. Exactly how I was praying and fasting, right? And on a side note, the real reason for fasting is humbling ourselves and drawing nearer to God, not just getting God to do something. But in my own mind, I rationalized, well, since this thing I've been praying for happened, why keep fasting? <laughs> so I started eating as soon as I found out that that thing had happened, right? Um, so that was rationalization. I was playing this mind game of, and I, and I fell into it. Well, that'll kill motivation, right? My motivation to keep fasting was eliminated instantly. Procrastination, putting something off, destroys motivation. Time-wasting habits, right? I don't know, maybe it's watching hours and hours and hours of TV or being on Facebook all day long or playing video games. I don't know what it is, but different time-wasting habits can kill motivation. Finally, a lack of discipline. Those are just some things that, that kill motivation. And as we eliminate those, we'll see our motivation level skyrocketing. Okay? Now, you can also do something positive. Instead of just eliminating barriers to motivation, we can do things that cultivate motivation, right? So we can cultivate motivation builders. Here are a few. Understanding your identity in Christ. When you get a grasp of who you are in Christ... That will build your motivation more than you can possibly imagine. Right? Understanding who you are in Christ. Understanding your life purpose. Was it good at the retreat? I haven't gotten feedback about that. Was it good working through those purpose worksheets? Did the people in your discussion groups have a good time doing that, you think? It was good. A lot of people talked about it afterwards. Cool. Like asking each other, even outside the discussion. That is so cool. Things like that, that's going to build your motivation. Because when you see the vision for what God has called you to, how could you not get excited about that? Does that make sense? It's starting to build motivation. Again, like on the first list, if any of these things come to mind as things that you feel would help build your motivation, write them out. Daily fellowship with God, a quiet time, plus being in his word constantly, right? Meditating on his word day and night. Communicating with him constantly. Remember that? First uh, Thessalonians 5.17. Okay, for the communicating with him constantly. Psalm 1 for meditating constantly. But both these, this fellowship with God is ongoing, and that will lead to uh, cultivated motivation, right? Frequent fellowship with other believers. Spending time together daily. Remember Acts 2? The believers were spending time together every single day. We kind of do that on this campus. That's why I think God does such great things in your lives. I mean, you guys are sharing your faith. You guys are making disciples. You guys are doing so much. And I think it's because you're where you need to be with God, but then also you're around each other so much. And it's just like a fire. You know, One log on fire alone is not going to go very far, but when you get a bunch together, the fire is going to be raging. right? So fellowship with other believers will increase motivation, hopefully, unless you're around people that are really walking in the flesh. I guess fellowship with other spirit-filled believers will be motivating, right? Okay. Accountability will keep your motivation strong. An active prayer life. Prayer, I think, motivates me more than anything else almost. Growing in God's word. God's word alone is a motivating factor in our life beyond anything else. Being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, who coincidentally uses God's word. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in a vacuum. <laughs> he uses God's word in your life, right? Having an eternal perspective. Remember, guys, if I, if I have an eternal perspective, whatever I'm going through between these barriers seems very insignificant compared to what's coming. Walking by faith and not by sight. 
every day choosing to walk by faith, hoping in God alone. Man, if, if I can get my hope straight, it's going to produce so much motivation. Because no matter how discouraging things could ever be, my hope is strong because it's in him. Loving God and others. Love is the chief motivator. Right? If my motivation is waning, it's probably because my love is too, both for God and others. Remember John 14, 15? If you love me, obey my commands. That's what Jesus said. Okay, receiving and giving grace. I think when we can't receive grace, our motivation collapses. And a lot of us are like that. I can't receive. You know, I have to, like, prove something. And a lot of times, if that's where you're at, you can't give grace either, right? But if I can receive grace and give grace, if I can live in grace, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1, be strong in grace. If I can be strong in grace, my motivation is going to be strong. Setting SMART goals again, and we'll get to some of those again today, so I don't want to stay too long there. But setting the right kind of goals is going to increase your motivation because you always got something to be looking forward to a direction that you're going, something you're aiming for. Does that make sense? If you have no goals, your motivation is going to be minimal. But if you have just the right goals for this week, for today, you're going to have some motivation to get there. Then finally, what we talked about last week, balance. Right? Hey, guys, there's a lot more, too. That's not it. Right? That is not it. But if you can cultivate those motivation builders, and if you can eliminate those motivation barriers, I think you, at that very point will be in harmony with the Holy Spirit and being fully motivated by Him in your life. Does that make sense? Okay, look at Paul's example in 2 Corinthians 11, 23b through 33. I better not read it because i got the voice recorder on here. I don't know if it'll kill it. 2 Corinthians 11, 23b through 33. And somebody could read that. 2 Corinthians 11. Anybody there? Anybody there? Okay. Um, yeah, partway through 23, you'll see the sentence starts up. Um, I've worked much harder, being in prison more frequently, being flogged more severely, and being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from juice the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent... Night and day in open sea, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in, dangers, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles. Um, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger of false, false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked beside... Everything else I face daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches, who is weak, and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. Wow. Mm-hmm. So here's the Apostle Paul, right? Unstoppable in following God. His motivation level was huge. He went through more than any of us in this room, and all of us in this room combined have or ever will. He went through a whole lot. And still, he stayed motivated to accomplish God's purpose for his life. He didn't say, oh, one time, stranded, treading water in the ocean after a shipwreck is enough. I'm done with this. Or two times, or three times, right? He didn't say, I've got stone. I'm done with ministry. You guys, we've been to Thessalonica and Berea and to Athens And what's exciting is Paul goes to Philippi, people come to Christ, he gets imprisoned, God does this miracle, he gets run out of town. He goes to Thessalonica, right? Or he leaves town. He goes to Thessalonica, what happens there? Again, he gets run out of town. He goes to Berea, what happens there? Initially, they're receptive, and they actually have a big altar to Paul there now. It's so ironic. He points to Jesus, they point back to him, right? So you go to Berea, and they're receptive initially. This is all in Acts 17. They're receptive initially... But then the Thessalonians, they come and they run him out of Berea as well. They're very close. Thessalonica and Berea are only like 50 or 60 miles apart from each other. We took a high-speed train between the two. And then he goes to Athens, right, also in Acts 17, where he encounters a lot more fruit, right? He encounters a lot more fruit there, and he stays there a little bit longer. You were there this summer. It was, it's, it's an exciting place. But the reality, guys, is who else? I mean, you'd think that a modern missionary would say, I got... 
beat up, I got stoned, I got imprisoned, I got you name it there, they'd stop doing that, right? They'd find a new method that wasn't so controversial or something, right? But Paul kept going, and he talks about there all that he'd suffered through, yet he was motivated to keep going. And because of that, the measure of his leadership increased. Does that make sense? Because he was motivated and determined and disciplined to keep going and to allow the Holy Spirit to empower him towards all that God had created him for. That brings us to the last part of this diagram, which is that a leader is unstoppable, right? So this barrier right here, what does it take to stop you? It is not a fixed point. You're constantly growing, so it takes more and more and more to stop you, right? You are unstoppable, in effect. So what does it take to stop you? Another question I want you to write down. What does it take to stop you? Again, think about it in terms of, is it easy to stop me, yes or no? And then also think about it in terms of specifics. Do I stop when somebody disagrees with me? Do I stop when somebody criticizes me? Do I stop when I don't see the results I hope to see? Do I stop when? You name it. And as you write that out, I want to tell you the only two times a leader is allowed to stop. Okay? This might be good to write down. There are only two times you can stop. This is a promise. You guys good? Okay, the only two times that a leader is allowed to stop are, one, when you realize you missed God's will. <laughs> okay, if you realize that was sin and I missed God's will, you should stop real quick. Okay, a lot of times you might even have done that, thinking this was the right thing to do. But you'll know, because the Holy Spirit is very powerful in convincing you, and you'll know that wasn't the right thing. <laughs> okay, you'll, you'll feel his conviction and know this was not the right step. There are other times where maybe results aren't what you expect, so you might be tempted to think you miss God's will. But unless the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and unless you have reason to believe you miss God's will, I would assume more times than not that that's probably just opposition. So that brings me to the only other time you're allowed to stop, and that's when you've accomplished God's will, right? When God's will has been accomplished. Does that make sense? See... God has called you to certain things in life. And those things, probably most of them, have a certain time limit. For example, my marriage. What's the time limit on that? Until okay. one of us is dead. <laughs> exactly. So until one of us is dead, um, God's will is that we're together. Does that make sense? And we're staying in it until that's accomplished. In other words, until one of us is dead. Right? What about for you being involved in college ministry? Well, how, what? How, often, how long does God want you to be reaching the campus that you're studying at? As long as you're studying. Yeah, you might not. I mean, there will never be a, to a time when you're a college student and God says, I don't want you reaching the students that are in class with you every day. I don't want you making a difference for me in that area. Right? This is your Jerusalem. If you're here... Make the most of every opportunity. Does that make sense? On the flip side of the coin, there might be ventures that you take that are not God's will, and God reveals that to you, and you realize, man, I was in the flesh when I took that step. It was about me. It wasn't about God. It was just my own ideas. I didn't give it to him first, and you might need to back out of those. Okay? So the two times a leader stops are when you realize you miss God's will or when God's will has been accomplished, right? And you know that with confidence. So when should a leader refuse to stop? Well, <laughs> Practically any time other than those two. But here are a few. When circumstances, adversity, and opposition increase. right? Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, I think, verse 8. Will you check verse 8, somebody? 1 Corinthians 16, 8. This is good. What did it say? Isn't that great? Yeah, verse 9. So there's a great door for effective work, but there's a lot of opposition and many who oppose me. So God's will didn't mean 
the lack of opposition. But in reality, in that case, God's will was the presence of opposition, right? It was there. And in Ephesus, go read in Acts 19, and you'll see what Paul was talking about, right? The whole city's in an uproar trying to rip them to pieces. Okay, when expectations aren't met, that is no cause to back down. When something better comes along, that is no cause to back down. We've been asked two times to be the lead pastor of a church since we came into college ministry. Both times, we knew confidently that that was not God's will, right? And there's been another time where a pretty big church, not in this city, all three, no, one was in the city, two others were outside the city. There was another time where another one was, was hinting at it a whole lot, right? They didn't flat out say, we want you to be our pastor, but they were asking a lot of hinting questions. And then we've also been asked to be like associate pastors at different churches, things like that, you know. And the reality is that's not God's will for us right now. And I know that with confidence, with all the confidence in the world. One guy, I got angry with him. I, I was, he asked me so many times. I just flat out said, that is not God's will for me, and I'm not going to do that. And that's the end of the story. I'm not even going there. So quit asking, right? And I felt almost like I burned some bridges with that person. But the reality is, um, something that quote-unquote better comes along does not necessarily mean it's God's will. You need to know your purpose to be able to evaluate that and where you're called to be, why you're called to be there, and when you're called to be there. Does that make sense? And then to evaluate everything else in light of your purpose. Anytime you know you're doing God's will, but something else is tempting, you should definitely stick with it, okay? So expanding the boundaries between getting started and stopping. We have these comfort zones here, and we're almost done. We have these comfort zones between these two boundaries. And we've talked a lot about the motivation in between. We've talked about what it takes to start you and what it takes to stop you. Now, specifically, as you think about comfort zones, what's in between? You need motivation as you go along, but I wanted to talk about what it takes to crush those comfort zones. Number one, it takes taking charge, okay? It really takes making a decision, one, to control your thoughts, your emotions, your choices, and your actions. Scripture tells you about all four of those things, that you're in charge of those. You, again, need to yield to the Holy Spirit to empower you, but you ultimately have the say. Remember what Scripture says about controlling your thinking. 2 Corinthians 10.5, taking every thought captive. And your emotions, in Colossians 3, setting them on things above. Right? Choosing what's in line with God's Word. Acting in line with God's Word. All those things are an aspect of taking charge in the area of your comfort zones. Because your flesh is going to scream for you to listen. And there's going to be a point where you say, I'm not listening. I'm taking charge and I refuse to listen. I'm going to evaluate that thought and make it obedient to Christ. Last week, I hope I can say this, Jake was fasting, right? And I'm sure everything in Jake was screaming, give me some food, buddy, <laughs> right? Did your body like fasting? <laughs> I've done that before, too. <laughs> Sleep is not as important as food. I will eat. Um, but any, just on a side note, I was in Turkey during Ramadan, and they fast for daylight, you know? And our bus would pull over every day, like 45 minutes before the sun came up, and people would eat like you've never seen people eat. And then the sun would come up, and nobody would eat all day. And then as soon, I mean, we're in the bus, and the second the sun peaked, or fell behind the, the peaks, man, <laughs> possible over the next restaurant and people would eat again like you've never seen people eat. I think that's human nature. We want to be fed, right? We don't like fasting, okay? So anyway, but you took those thoughts captive all day long and you got up and you led praise even though you had an empty stomach, right? The point is, is you were taking charge of your thoughts, your emotions, your choices, and your actions. And you were saying, flesh, you're going to be obedient to Christ. We can read about that in a minute. I'm going to put it off till the end, but Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. 24 through 27. Okay, next, guys. So take charge of those issues. And next, and I want to end on this because this is huge and important. Write down risk on your paper. A leader has to take risks. Pure and simple. There's no way for you to be a leader and not take risks. It's impossible. And taking risks is effectively how you increase those barriers because you're doing something that wasn't comfortable yesterday, right? It wasn't easy, it wasn't comfortable. A risk is defined as exposure to the chance of injury or loss, a hazard or a dangerous chance. Does that make sense? So you're making yourself vulnerable 
to potential danger, to potential loss. You're making yourself vulnerable to possibly being made fun of, to possibly being a failure, right? And that is scary. We don't want to take those risks. When we first thought about taking a risk and trusting God for a million dollars for this Great Commission Training Center, I was scared not because of what lied ahead. We all knew that there would be a lot of work, and there continues to be a lot. And it's a long process, and it's going to happen by God's amazing grace. But the reality was I was afraid to take that step because I was afraid of what people would think of us if it didn't go through. Isn't that crazy? But we took the risk, and God came through. But I'm so glad we took the risk because if we hadn't taken that risk, we would not have grown. All right? Comfort zones are comfort zones because they have minimal chance of injury or loss, and there are few hazards and dangers. That's why they're comfortable. Right? So if you want to expand those barriers and crush the comfort zones in between them, you have to take risks. So risk evaluation, not everything that is risky is good, right? You guys could take a lot of risks that are really stupid, okay? <laughs> College students all around you are doing that every single day. Teen pregnancy, STD rates are skyrocketing. Students die of alcohol poisoning, those are just a few. But the risks students are taking in college are ridiculous. Those are on the flat-out dangerous side. There are other risks that are just stupid. I remember my snowboarding friends encouraging me to graffiti, and I'd take a risk by graffitiing. How stupid, right? I was destroying other people's property. I was being dumb. It was a stupid risk, right? This is years ago. If you're going to take risks, take risks for the glory of God. Do things big for the glory of God. That would be my encouragement. So choose the right risks. Will this help you become the person God made you to be? Ask that about any risk you could see. Will this help you become obedient to something that God has called you to specifically in scripture or something that he's called you to individually according to your life purpose? Then take that risk. So you can say, I have this goal here. Does that make sense? Here's my goal and it's in line with my purpose. Okay? You know that, but you don't necessarily know the risks to take to get to that goal. Maybe your goal is to be more bold in sharing your faith. Okay, so maybe that's your purpose. Then maybe a goal would be, okay, I'm going to share my faith on campus this week. Well, the risk that you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to take is a specific action step. Does that make sense? Am I going to share my faith in class today? Am I going to share my faith over here today, with that person today, with that guy that doesn't like me, or whatever, right? My brother Dave once was in a bus station, and he knew God was leading him to share with this old lady, but it was quiet, and everything echoed in the bus station, in Albuquerque, I think it was, and he didn't want to do it, because he knew everybody would probably hear, so he walks up to this lady finally, he says, hey, excuse me, ma'am, you know, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you, <laughs> She's like, excuse me, I can't hear. <laughs> and he goes, I wanted to tell you that Jesus loves you. Excuse me, I can't hear you. <laughs> My breath said he's like virtually yelling out to this lady how much Jesus loves her. Everybody in the bus station could hear. I thought that was so funny. You know, he's taking a risk and God is helping him take some more <laughs> in the process. Right, so he knew the purpose of his life was to be active in sharing his faith. He knew the goal was to be sharing with this old lady. And the risk he took was... Trusting God that, that this is going to pan out, that people weren't going to think he was a moron, right? Okay, so as you analyze a risk, write some of this stuff down. This is good, I think. Do a cost-benefit analysis. This sounds crazy. Special note on that. If this risk is specifically outlined in Scripture, you need not do a cost-benefit analysis of it. Does that make sense? If you're clearly called to do this in Scripture, do it by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to analyze anything. However, if it's a risk like talking to this old lady in the bus station, that's not clearly told you in Scripture, so you might analyze it, okay? What is the highest potential good what can be gained? Think about that in relation to your risk. Colonel H.R. McMaster described General Patton this way. General Patton is one of my favorites. And he said, Patton was biased always towards seeing the opportunities. Other commanders were biased towards seeing the dangers. I want all of us to get biased towards seeing the opportunities when we evaluate risks. What could God do if I did X? Remember Samuel? Not Samuel, it's in 1 Samuel. Remember Jonathan and his armor bearer? 1 Samuel 12, is that right? Do you guys know? I think it's 12. Anyway, for, 
Jonathan and his armor bearer, what if God decides to give us these Gentiles, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? What if God, he says, what will hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few? I mean, God can do it. I'm going to take a risk, right? So evaluate, what could God do if I took this step for his own glory, right? What's the biggest potential loss? What's at stake? You should evaluate that too. It's important to think those things through. Again, God didn't write an entire book on wisdom for you not to use it. So be wise about the risk that you're taking. Does the benefit outweigh the cost? And I'm saying look at that question with spiritual eyes too. Because sometimes the benefit might outweigh the cost and the cost might be your life. That'll be between you and God. But the benefit might be greater. What are the barriers that are keeping you from taking that risk? Write those out so you can see what's stopping you. Then finally, plan taking the risk. It might take some initiative. It might take some taking steps. Again, set some smart goals about taking that risk. Because every time you take a risk, guys, every time you take a new risk, you're pushing these barriers further and further apart. Does that make sense? You're doing something that you weren't willing to do yesterday, but you did it, and you survived, and God did awesome things in your life and in other people's lives. He got the glory. I can do that again tomorrow. Does that make sense? I'd be much more ready to trust God for a million dollars now than we were last time. Because God did it. He came through. I'd be much more willing to trust God for something like a radio show now that we've done one for a year. Does that make sense? But those were some risks. Those were some risks God called us to take that weren't comfortable at first. But we took them and God did great things. So I'm encouraging you, take risks and let God continue expanding those barriers, right? So Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Everything through him who gives me strength. Right, guys? Um, 1 Corinthians 9.24-27. through 27. This is what I wanted to read as far as um, taking charge of your emotions, your choices, your thoughts, your actions. Do you not know that in a race, and this is a great thing to end on, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. point here, guys, is I am going to control... This physical body, these thoughts, these emotions that God has given me for his glory. To become the person he's called me to be. To grow into the measure of a leader that he's called me to grow into. And that's going to take staying motivated, taking risks, and expanding those two barriers. Okay, so as we close, I want to ask you to write down two questions. This is a personal challenge about risk-taking. Okay? And this is it. We're done. List a risk you can take. Oh, gosh. First of all, write out a personal goal. You can just write this out real simply. You don't have to write the whole thing. Just put personal goal and ministry goal. (laughs) Two separate goals. Now, the personal goal might be something like, I want to be stronger in my knowledge of the word. Okay? That's a personal goal. Your ministry goal might be, I want to become a Bible study leader. So write out a personal goal and a ministry goal. Once you've written out those two goals about each one, list a risk that you can take towards that goal. So something you could do that would involve making yourself vulnerable to potential danger or loss, something that takes some risk that you could do towards accomplishing that goal. So list a risk that you can take towards that goal. Then list what are the potential gains from taking that risk? And what are the potential dangers or losses? And then ask yourself a real simple question. Should I take that risk? Pray about it. Ask God to lead you about that risk. If God says yes, write out some SMART goals to help you achieve that and to take that risk. Specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic, and within a time frame. Got it? So write out a personal goal and a ministry goal. List a risk you can take towards that goal. 
list the potential gains if you take it and the potential losses and dangers if you come up short or if, if you fail. And right there, you know, failing is just a step towards succeeding. Decide whether or not you're going to take that risk and then write out specific goals to get there. And then, guys, do it in his power. Trust him to take that risk. Okay? So the measure of a leader is what does it take to start you and what does it take to stop you? And my prayer is that it would take all of us a whole lot less to get started and a whole lot more to stop. And I pray that we'd be pushing back those barriers in both directions every single day by taking risk and crushing those comfort zones, okay? Let's close. Ashley, we pray? Yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this day, God, that we just get to learn more about you and just what it means to be a leader for you, God. Um, just ask you please be with us as we write out these goals and these risks that we're going to take for you, God. Um, it's going to be exciting. Um, I just ask you please be with us and just guide us and just show us what you have in store for us, God. Um, We just want to say we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.